you're listening to the one-on-one football podcast the number one podcast for aussie rules training coaching and development tips Welcome to episode five of the one-on-one football podcast. My name is Andrew Rains, and I'm the founder of one-on-one football. And I'm joined by my co-host in this show, Harry Simington. How are you, mate? Going well, Rainsy. Going well. Um, yeah, really excited to chat to Josh today. Um, not only has he played over uh, 200 AFL games, but he's actually the most popular coach here on the one-on-one football platform. I uh, did my homework during the week. The stats are in. In the two years that he's been available, he's completed... 354 private coaching sessions, um, which is very impressive considering that, Rainsy, you and I together, um, we're still four four sessions short, so uh, he must be doing something right. No, he's certainly doing a lot right, um, and there are, about, I think it's about 45 to 50 young footballs across Melbourne that are reaping the benefits um, of his work, and in addition to the coaching platform, Josh has also worked in the elite AFL system, obviously, as a player, as you mentioned, and a development coach at Carlton, um, the head coach of the Carlton Reserves and the Northern Bullants, um, and also um, and remaining in that job as they part ways and uh, a, a separate club or separate entity on their own now um, in the VFL. So he's, he's, he's looking forward to a big year, no doubt we'll chat to him a bit about that. Um, and he's also studying a diploma in leadership and management. So welcome, Fraze. Great to have you on board, mate. Thanks, Rangy. Thanks, H. Thanks for having me, boys. Could you give the listeners a bit of a background on yourself? Um, how did you first get involved with footy and, um, yeah, how that led to, to your role today? Well, probably like most um, young players, I mean, I, I always was attracted to footy from a young age, um, played all my junior football at Mansfield. Um, some of my greatest memories of footy, even to this day, are the junior days, running around with your mates and you weren't thinking about structures or anything like that. You were just running around trying to get a kick. Um often in pretty terrible weather, but um, that was when footy was at its purest for me, um, just chasing the chasing the footy around um, and having fun. So um, I just, for whatever reason, I was just attracted to the game from a young age, as I said. Um, couldn't get enough of footy. Um, even if you talk to my teachers coming through school, you know, they'd all say the same thing, that I was so football obsessed that I probably didn't pay enough attention to the school side of things. So in my mind, it was always me wanting to, to play at the highest level. Um, and I guess I was fortunate enough to a, have some dedicated parents because I lived in the country. So um, there was a lot of travel for representative squads and even um, in our local competition. Yeah, I think our, one of our closest games uh, was probably an hour away. So um, my parents were fantastic um, taking me around to carnivals and different things. And I guess in a lot of ways, I guess I found my own way through the, the pathway system. Um, which I guess led to the Murray Bush Rangers in the TAC Cup, um, 97, 98. Um, and from there, I was fortunate enough to be drafted to Collingwood um, at the end of 1999. So um, I guess it was probably a, um, a pretty conventional pathway, particularly back then, going through juniors into the, the schoolboy system and representative squads. Um, and then, yeah, at, uh, at the age of, I guess, 18, I found myself um, on an AFL list. So, um bit of a dream come true um in in a lot of respects that was probably when the hard work really started um at that age and and moving forward um wasn't without its challenges I, I probably at times fell in and out of love with footy a little bit because of um you know varying circumstances uh, pressure injury um expectation all those sorts of things um but thankful to still be involved in a coaching capacity which i absolutely love um 
in some ways I feel a lot more comfortable as a coach than I ever did as a player, which is interesting in itself. But um, yeah, football has been fantastic to me. It's a, it's a terrific game and I'm thankful in my role now as a coach, both on the one-on-one platform and through my role now at the Northern Buoyants, I can, I can give back and help young footballers um, hopefully achieve their dreams as well. Well, Fraser, I certainly saw that passion uh, firsthand, mate, when I was running around on, on one knee and my last year there at the Suns and you were head coaching the Neefle and we had some tough days there, mate, um, slogging out in the in the twos. And um, But I could, it's one thing I, I definitely um, I definitely took from you, mate, just your, your passion. And it's funny you actually said that more comfortable as a as a coach and player. Obviously, I played against you, but I didn't play uh, with you, so I can't really probably comment there. But it sounds like um, you're probably... You're probably right, and I feel that too. Sometimes with my coaching, you feel you've walked into something you're super passionate about, and you actually got to, you know, you want to actually give back and make people better, and it doesn't feel like a job sometimes. So that's incredible, mate. And I think um, with that comes that leadership element, and and we talk a lot about the leadership in different forms. Um, you've got you know the Luke Hodges and Joel Selwoods and Jonathan Browns and these types. Um, and the coaching sense, you know, Damien Hardwick and Luke Brett Beveridge, to name a few premiership coaches of recent times. What type of leader have you? Because obviously all these names that I mentioned have got different leadership traits. And, and how, how do you develop these type of qualities along the way with your coaching? Yeah, it's um, some really good uh, points in there, Rainsy. I think um, you're probably in a similar boat to myself. I guess when we finish playing, for me, wanting to stay involved, coaching was the perfect option. And then... I guess there's one thing to, to want to move into coaching. The next part is to probably establish and develop a skill set where you're going to be reasonable at it um, and you're going to be able to help either a collective group or individuals, um, preferably both. So for me, it became about um, really, I guess, discovering myself as a leader and reflecting a lot on my football journey and understanding the circumstances I was in as a player and how I dealt with them and how coaches dealt with me during that time. Um, and that starts to shape and mould your coaching philosophy. But in and around that, it starts to shape and evolve your leadership qualities as well. Um, so I think as a leader, some of the most important things are being really authentic um, and having that ability to self-assess and be really true to um, the circumstances you've been in, the mistakes you've made and the areas you want to continue to grow in. Um, so that's been a really important journey for me. Um, I think having the ability to display some empathy as well and understanding is really important. Um, with that, reading the mood of a group or the, the mood of an individual um, and trying to adapt your styles as well, um, there's certainly a time to be nice and firm and challenge um, in the right way, but there's also a time to put your arm around someone or a collective group and try and support and, and show them the way forward. Um, so I guess without nailing one or two, three, one, sorry, one or two mm. key elements to my leadership, I think it's evolved and still evolving where I'm trying to take bits of learning out of every situation and every environment I've been in um, and, and apply that to the group or the, the people I'm working with. Um, I think as a leader, you have to be really clear in where you're heading um, and the sort of people you want surrounding you as well um your people i've come to believe this you're really only as good as the people around you um and regardless of whether you're having results or you're not i think having a clear way forward being able to articulate that and bring people along with you um is critical so yeah some 
some learnings there for me, um, some reflection back on my footy journey um, and all those things I'm trying to apply now to my coaching. Yeah, for sure. And you, you mentioned um, having you know, the importance of, of having um, you know role models and, um, and, and good people around you. Um, back to your Collingwood days when you were drafted in, in 1999 um, with the number one pick, um, that was sort of a, I guess, a, a start of an era for Collingwood with um, Nathan Buckley taking on the captaincy and, and Mick Malthouse beginning um, what would be an 11-year coaching stint with the club. Um, I'd be interested to sort of find out who the, who the biggest influences were on, on your career, mate, and, um, and also like what were the pressures of, um, of being a number one draft pick and, and going into the competition with, um, with that, uh, I guess, badge um, next to your name? Yeah, so I probably I mentioned it earlier that I I probably didn't. Um, well, some of my best times playing footy were when I was a junior because I didn't feel the, the pressure and expectation. Um, and then I guess in my first couple of years in the AFL system, I I was probably naive to a lot of that pressure and expectation as well. Um, but I guess two or three years in, it, it did start to weigh on me a fair bit, and I didn't handle it that well. Um, I didn't probably open up enough to, to people I was close to about it. I didn't um, try and seek some, some ways forward through through those challenges. And there's no doubt that had an effect on my performance over a period of time. Um, I still consider myself fortunate. I think I had some great mentors. Um, and Neil Balm was at Collingwood at the time. Um, and Barmy was fantastic for me. He filled me with a lot of confidence. And, um, you know, I think he could see at times that... Um, the number one tag and probably playing so much footy so early became a bit of a burden on me at different stages. Um, you know, Scott Burns was a fantastic leader at the footy club. Um, I, I sort of lent on him at various stages. Um, a guy called Mark Kleiman, who was at the footy club as well. Um, Noel Judkins was the one who actually recruited me. So, um, you yeah, know, Noel was a great resource and standing board in those early days. But I guess for a lot of it, I, I probably... And through my own doing, I probably tried to find my, my own way through it, um, which is probably one of my downfalls too because I needed to connect with a lot more people and, and try and um, get some things in place. So, you know, I wasn't stuck in a rut for six to ten weeks. It was a, a one- or two-week thing and I was able to work through it and get myself back on track. But I was never able to do that consistently. Um, and then you throw injuries on top and... You know, pretty quickly, Rainsy, as you'd know, mate and Harry, probably, you know, you're in a similar boat. Um, the end of your career comes a bit quicker than what the start of it was. And all of a sudden, you start to, you know, you're in this almost twilight phase of your playing days and um, it can be a little bit confronting. So um, they're the things, again, that as a coach, I've been able to reflect on. I probably didn't handle them the way I should have in on reflection, but um, it certainly helps me in my coaching moving forward and, Having a set of people around you um, who are mentors, who are trusted, um, confidants um, is so important for players and coaches as well. Yeah, definitely echo those sorts in terms of um, you know putting that pressure on, and and I suppose to the, the word of vulnerability, and we talk, they talk about it a lot these days. Probably when you and I come through, mate, it was a especially in your early twenties, and you, you're going along, and, and you think you've got this image to sort of portray, and and not reaching out. And I definitely, um, yeah, definitely agree there with with some of the things that. I went through this, so you know it's incredible that um, you can now reflect on that and then put into your coaching. And I think that's the most important part for coaches out there to try and pick up on certain things in their career that they probably may have done differently, and that drives them every day for you know sort of that passionate part of their job to 
to be able to pass that on to the next generation or, or their players, which is which is significant and, and so invaluable. Um, and then I suppose in that too, mate, moving up to the Suns, um, so talking about the lessons learned, I suppose, at, at Collingwood and, and, and your journey there and then coming up to the Suns, um, reflect on that a bit, mate. And obviously being a, a really young playing group um, and you had a year or two playing there and then obviously into the coaching job, Talk us through a bit of that, mate, and and the balance between the the young and the inexperienced, and, and then also too being an older player there and, and adapting to a different culture and environment. Yeah, well, it was um, I guess part of the decision to go up there, Ronesy, was that I did want to move into coaching, um, and I saw the opportunity to go up there as a chance to work with a young group, um, certainly be a, an older player and, and try and mentor and help some of those younger players through. Um, as you know, mate, there was a challenge. Like the the environment up there was completely different to anything um, I probably expected, um, and not through anyone's fault. It just was, it was what it was. Um, mm. You know, I think it was always going to be a harder task for the Gold Coast over the GWS Giants. They had the benefit of going second and probably seeing some of the things that happened. Um, but look, having said that, again, you know. Now that I've had the chance and opportunity to coach my own sides, I learned a hell of a lot around, you know, building a culture, um, you know, where to start when you're putting a, a playing list together and, and what things to focus on as a coach, um, how you handle adversity and losses. Um, you know, sometimes as much as it's a win-loss industry and it should always be that way, you know, always finding a way through that and a way forward for your playing group. Um, but it was tough and I think... I still think that not enough people probably understand the, the difficulties that, um, I mean, not only the players faced, but certainly the coaching staff and, and Bluey McKenna as the senior coach. Um, so it has its, had its challenges. Um, again, for me, unbelievable learnings. Um, you know, when I'd retired and gone back to coach, I went back originally to coach purely as a development coach. Um, and I think that was around the time Sean Hart who was the reserves coach up there, moved to Port Adelaide. So I reckon in the space of two or three weeks, I'd gone from you know, my first time coaching to being a development coach to coaching basically my own team in the, in the NEFL. So that was sort of a baptism of fire, but I loved every minute of it. Um, as you've said, mate, it was a, it was a challenge at times. Um, we didn't have the most competitive team on the park, but um, I'll tell you one thing we, we did, and I'm really proud of even looking back now, was... Um, I don't think at any stage the players sort of fell apart or, or splintered. Um, you guys stayed really unified. Um, as an older player, you understood the challenge that was at hand. And, you know, I think, you know, we're still able to achieve a fair bit, although we didn't didn't show on the scoreboard. So um, it was a unique experience, mate. One that I guess in many ways I'm thankful I had. Um, and again, a lot of those observations and learnings I had up there, Again, I can apply to my, my coaching these days and particularly the role I'm in now um, at the Northern Bullants where we're basically a startup club. Absolutely, mate. And um, and staying on the topic of, of, of learning, obviously you learn from your experiences, um, but you're also enrolled in a course um, for, I think it's leadership uh, and management. Yep. Um, could you just uh, yeah tell us a little bit more about that and um, and why you think it's so important for not only coaches but um, but all professionals to always be in a state of learning um, regardless of how experienced they are? Oh, look, it's it's again this is something I've had to really improve on and develop myself. That I guess that willingness and having the appetite to, to go out and upskill myself and, and learn. Um, it's probably just having a growth mindset over a fixed one. 
Um, I think for a long time as a player, I had that fixed mindset. You know, things were the way they were and you just had to deal with it. Um, whereas coming out the other end of my career and, and moving into coaching, I very much had that growth mindset of how can I be better? How can we be better? How can we do things differently? Um, and then I guess, you know, my career um, progression, I, I want to coach for as long as I possibly can, but I'd love to stay involved in football in some capacity, whether that's in an operational capacity, um, Obviously, footy ops manager would appeal to me. Coaching appeals to me. So it's really just broadening my skill set. Um, and again, as a senior coach of, of my own team, I'm, I'm dealing with players. I'm dealing with staff. Um, you know, At the moment, I'm probably dealing with um, lots of other things that a coach wouldn't normally have to. So a lot of the operational stuff. Um, so learning to deal with that, I think, is complementing this course I'm doing. And I've got no doubt I'll be better for it. Um, but it's so important having that growth mindset to to continually find ways to be better and evolve. Yeah, for sure. And um, that sort of um, brings us to the end of the the, the, the leadership side of um, of the episode. We we also want to, uh, I guess, dive deep into um, into a bit of the um, the evolution of the of the ruckman in the AFL. Um, over the years, we've seen seen the role change remarkably. Um, there was a there was a period there when uh, tall midfielders and a carefully planned third man up was uh, emerging as a potential replacement for the tapped ruckman. Uh, but then Max Gorn, Brody Grundy, and the likes uh, responded, uh, sort of proving how valuable a um, a 200 centimeter athlete can be in the middle of the ground. Um, my question for you, Fraze, is sort of: is what are the most important traits for a modern day ruckman these days? Um, the 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 non negotiables, if you like. Um, it's a good question. Um, you might be asking the wrong bloke because I was probably never a pure ruckman. Um, I was a little bit more in the mould of um, compete as well as you can, and then try and find the ball 15 to 20 times around the ground. Um, but I think it depends on the individual and the circumstance or the situation of your team. Um, so Nick Natanui, as an example, I'm not sure there's been a ruckman that can have as big an influence on a game with as little of the football in their hand. So he can you know, have five touches but have 30 hit-outs and really you know, contribute to 75 80% of West Coast scoring. Um, and then there's other guys who add that value around the ground as well. And Brody Grunny's probably one that can do both. Um it has evolved, but it hasn't really settled, if that makes sense. I think the game will always cater yep. to guys that are the biggest, thicker set players that just crash and bash, and it'll always cater to the guys that can compete and run around and, and move. It really depends on your coaching philosophy. Um, I've always thought Ruckman that can get forward and, and hit the scoreboard are really valuable, um, and also Ruckman that can, can play as that, that key forward or that deeper forward. Um and really stretch opposition defence. So uh, it has evolved. As I said, it hasn't settled. But, um, you know, I think, again, depending on your coaching philosophy, I think it caters to all sorts of different tools and, and, and ruckmen. Yeah, it's, it's an issue one too because it, I think it's a really good point when you're saying it's, it's constantly evolved. It's never settled. Each year they're changing in terms of the rules and then obviously uh, players coming through. But you know a few of those ones are poor. Harry, I think, and Gorn and Grundy have probably been the most significant over the last... 10 years along with Nat Nui, but pros of any young kids out there listening um, and they're a key position, might just nail it down to Ruckman. If you're a Ruckman sort of key position type, as you said, that, that Ruckman that can push forward and, and kick goals, is there anything, might be around sort of your one-on-one sessions or even the stuff, um, even the coaching you're doing at, at the Bull Ants, any drills or techniques that, 
you really focus on with these top of players that help develop, um, you know, those modern day. Yeah, they, look, there's there's so many, Rainsy. Um, obviously, there's the game sense one is the harder one to do within a one on one session. Um, you can do a little bit more of it when you've got a two on one or a three on one session. So when it's purely one on one, it becomes more about the fundamentals and the technical side of what you do. And um, clearly, marking's a huge thing for for rucks and key position players. So that ability to read the flight of the ball, um, you know, set your feet in a position um, and use your feet so you get yourself in the best position to, to launch at the footy. Um, and then there's the mark itself. So, you know, having your shoulders um, and your head as square behind the ball as possible to give yourself that the strongest point. Um, and then, you know, I guess, the, the finishing the mark. So being as clean as you can be with your hands. And um, that's some of the things that we've been able to, I've been able to work with um, on players throughout this one-on-one, um, I guess, setting in the last couple of years, which I've loved, is just seeing the growth in guys with their footwork and how they position themselves to mark the ball and, um, you know, giving them that constant feedback and, and reassurance. And sometimes it's such a small thing. You, a player might have the best hands, but if they can't read the flight of the footy and they keep running under it, it doesn't matter. So, you know, stripping those things back as far as you can and, and I guess, incrementally building it up so... They got really good, um, I guess, technical um, a technical sense of the game. Yeah, I agree. I think that I think that one's really important. It's a basic. It's not even a drill if you like. You sort of just kick up. Well, I'm working with some developing ruckmans in the academy at the moment, and uh, both over 200 centimeters, and we're just doing 15 to 20 extra marks a night and kicking them, you know, height and mixing the heights up a bit and just getting the judge mm. that follow the ball because they do run under it a fair bit, and that just comes back to confidence with with those sort of developing tools, but. Yeah, it's it's, a, it's an interesting one, isn't it? And I think that the more time spent, um, you know, judging that flight, using your footwork, I heard you mention footwork. I think mm. that's really important too. Um, and hopefully the the players can sort of yeah. develop in time. So really, yeah. Really if we, um, to... I mean, we try and use a lot of different starting positions as well. So whether it's three or four different colour cones where they they have to move around and then launch at the footy, or different starting points where they might be facing away from the kicker um they might actually be running deep towards goal and then they have to readjust all those things they'll be faced within a game so giving them that exposure in training and in these sessions really important yeah i think that's a great one i think um we sort of get we get so and Ranzi, we've spoken about this before on uh, on previous episodes we've spoken about sort of you know just kicking back and forwards from a cone and making everything the same and everything you know a perfect scenario but but footy's not perfect and i think something is as simple as changing up the starting positions and varying the starting positions um can be really beneficial because you're going to have to problem solve on the fly in uh, in a match of footy i think that's um that's uh, that, that's pure gold even if it's is just a little thing um add some variability in there um phrase i'd be interested to ask um uh, sort of the relationship between ruckman and and midfielders as well and um how important do you th- do you think the relationship is for for a, a ruck and a rover to um to have a really strong bond and and sort of understand not only how each other play but um yeah but but who the other um who the other um, teammate is as, as a person um did you have any sort of rovers that you were really close with um most of them that could read the opposition hits were pretty good I thought <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that's what they started doing after Shut a while <laughs> um I was. <laughs> I was really lucky. Like in my in my career, I was so lucky to. I mean, Nathan Buckley is someone that springs to mind, but you know, Scott Burns was brilliant around stoppages. Um, one player who doesn't get anywhere near the recognition they should was Shane O'Brien. He was a fantastic stoppage player, um, and Paul Curie. He was a little bit more run with, but he had a great ability to win the footy. Also, um, 
So I, I think to answer your question, H, it's a little bit more around the synergy with that group. Um, and I think synergy in footy is so important. Um, you know, we're doing a lot of work at the moment on our ball movement and we talk about, you know, the synergy of moving that ball from our back half through our midfield and then into the forwards and what that looks like. Um, obviously, you know, some rucks do have a real affection to one particular midfielder, um, but I think it's understanding the mechanics of your stoppage, how that works, um, and I guess just trusting that, you know, the mids are getting their job done at ground level um, and the rucks are competing as hard as they can in the air. It's a, it's a good point, isn't it? I think um, you mentioned a couple of those Collingwood stalwarts, I think, to think about, mate. Underse- <laughs> underselling yourself a bit there, I think, mate. Provide them with some, uh, some good supply, but um, no, it's... Uh, it's always good to reflect back on the playing career and sort of uh, and think of some of the guns you played with, and I definitely do that over time. You think how fortunate you are to, to play with those and people and to learn learn under them too and learn different skill sets, especially when you're talking about the coaching stuff. But just wanted to um, reflect a bit too now on or, or give a bit more advice for listeners out there on coaching your own team and the importance of it. So you mentioned earlier in the episode that you, um, I think, <coughs> day dot coach your own team. Um, so. A lot in the AFL industry do coach as an assistant or a development coach. Could have 15, 20 years of doing it. Um, I know I, I like coaching my own team, hence probably why I've been in the academy for so long. But there's a lot of people out there, even in community um, environments, um, that, that do assistant roles and, and can be sort of stuck and and, uh, and tarnished with that brush for, for quite a while. So I just want to open up the forum to you and sort of discuss, you know, was that a mindset going in? Is that something that's so important to you? And, and what are the benefits in, um, you know, other than the obvious? What's sort of um, along there, mate? Yeah, so it was, a, it was a mindset for me going into my coaching career or venturing into coaching. I, I didn't think it had happened as soon as it did. Um, that was more through circumstance. Um, I, I guess I struggle to understand how someone can coach at the highest level without having coached their team along along the way. And um, that's not necessarily to say it's right or wrong. It's just, I guess, the experiences of I've had coaching my own team, you, you get exposed to so much. Um, whereas when you're an assistant, you, you probably, you're exposed to your group and you have an opinion on the broader topics, but really you're not the one making the hard decisions and you're not necessarily the one that has the to canvas all these opinions and, and step step back and, and try and take it all in. Um, and it's a different seat to sit in and it's certainly nowhere near what it would be like coaching in, you know, in the AFL as a senior coach. But, um, you know, it's still got its own precious game day. Um, I think it's so important, Rainsy and, and Hapes, that you, if you want to be a, a coach and a serious coach, I really think it's important you coach your own side um, and go in with that mindset around finding out about yourself that's probably been one of the steepest learning curves I've had. Um, and I think back to some of my early days at the Gold Coast and I was probably, well, I was I was far too emotive um, off the back of wins and losses. And it all came from a place of just wanting to the group to be successful. But that has a can have a real negative effect on the group at times as well. Um, so I've learned to be you know, far more measured in the way I, I approach things, even though internally at times I'm probably thinking I need to vent a little bit more. Um, I've learned about trusting and delegating the people around me. I think I've always been okay at that, but that's gone to another level. Um, I've learned to to have conversations with, you know, different people in different ways um, because you can't treat everyone the same. It just doesn't, that doesn't work. Um, 
you know, I've learned to, you know, being able to manage and hold a group accountable to a common goal and educate and talk with players how they fit into that purpose and where you're heading. Um, and it's not all, all rosy conversations. There's some really hard conversations in there. And that's part of your own learning as well, um, understanding how to approach those, um, being authentic with those, trying to have a relationship with as many people as you can on, on some level and make those relationships authentic. I think you've, you would have all heard about coaches talking about being relationship coaches. That's the almost the buzz thing at the moment. Um, everyone in a footy club's got a relationship on some level, but the ones that are genuine and the ones that are authentic are the ones that have some substance to them. Not passing someone in a hallway saying, G'day, mate. Um, you need to find ways to build build those. Um, and they're all things as a, as a coach of your own side, you either choose to do or you choose not to do. But for me, I've found that um, unless you're invested completely on all levels, um, not micromanaging, but just invested on all levels and willing to do whatever you can to help and assist the growth of your club, um, yeah, it's 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 something that you need to experience if you if you really want to go down that path. That's it. It's a love to hear about the buzzword of relationships and everyone's trying to use that now and, and no doubt because the better coaches are doing it and some more notable in recent times in, in Hardwick and the turnaround that, that happened at Richmond there with, with how he, he sort of went to another level with his relationships and the coaches out there again on the back of that question about the importance of coaching your own team and I think that's some actual gold there in terms of getting that balance right, micromanaging and then, and then obviously doing um, you know, doing the other stuff as a, as a, a broader manager um, in mm. terms of, of coach, because you are you're you're pretty much a people or you know sort of a people's manager when you become the coach. Mm. But it's also too those little conversations in the hallway you walk past to say good day, mate. I think it's it's the follow up or it's actually pulling them out of a drill and getting your assistant coaches to if you've got the resources there to take more drills and, and it might be it might be on a Thursday night before selection that you start pulling people, you know, I've found that works for me too, pulling them out of drills yeah. or walking around the gym and having those conversations because at the end of the day, they want to hear from you and they can get their feedback from their line coach or their assistant coach. But I think it, you've got to spend that extra time having those sort of just informal verbal chats. And if you spend it, they'd probably rather, the playing group probably rather you spend an extra hour doing that than probably sitting up in a, in a meeting room explaining a drill or, or um, awesome video feedback. It's a great point, mate. It's a really good point. That's something that, again, I feel like I've been able to grow you know, in terms of delegating and then freeing myself up to have those conversations. Um, the other thing that I think is really important is, as the senior coach, you're, you're in control and responsible for the environment you set and the mood of that environment. Um, so one of the things that I learned you know, when I was working at Carlton as a development coach, you know, from 7 a.m. in the morning till 5 p.m. at night and then have the VFL boys come in from 5 to 8.30 or 5 to 9. Come 5 o'clock, most of the time you were spent, you know, you were just cooked, but you had to fake it. You had to you had to um, present with the most energy out of anyone because often, you know, your staff and your players will feed off that. So um, there's times as a coach where you're that flat or you're frustrated or something else has happened, but, um, you know, setting the tone and setting the mood is critical. Um I suppose the last thing for me is that, um, again, I was probably guilty of this early days where I, I expected everything to be perfect. Footy's not perfect. Um, we have this message for our players all the time. As long as they're training with the right intent and purpose, mistakes are fine because it's going to happen game day. 
And as a coach, I'm not going to get everything right. Um, and as a coaching group, we won't get anything right. So there's no fear about making those mistakes. As long as we've got that purpose of constant improvement and you know working together, um, you know, I think that environment um, seems to be more enjoyable for players and staff. Yeah, before Harry wraps up, mate, I think that's yeah, just some could listen to that all day and probably follow up with it with more conversation. I think the listeners would be you know, absolutely wrapped with um, some of those key points. On a lighter note, mate, any the what's what's who's the rarest person that you've, you've coached um, in a good way or bad? You know, there's probably a few of them. Um, more fish oh, on that. I'll put you on the spot, but <laughs> you'd need a whole episode, mate. I reckon. <laughs> um. Oh, rarest I've coached. Jeez, oh, one of the one of the best people I've been involved with in footy, but he's so unique. Is Campbell Brown? Um, I've you know, like I I love Brownie. He's just got a such an infectious um, personality and zest for life. I've I've never come across anyone like him. Um, so to be involved with Brownie over the journey is interesting. A lot of young guys. Um, like they constantly surprise you. You know, they've probably things that we weren't exposed to as young players coming through. You know, they are exposed to, and you have to probably upskill yourself a bit on some of them. Um, yeah. But yeah, look, there's a, there's a number of them, and and for some reason Brownie just came to my mind as someone who, um, yeah, he's so unique. And um, the time at the Gold Coast with him was uh, was an experience. He's a great man, Brownie. He's a great man. He's a star. <laughs> Absolutely. Um. Yeah, that's about all we've got time for today, Fraz. Mate, thanks. Uh, thanks a heap for coming on the podcast. Have you got any um, any final messages um for let's say the either either young footballers or um or up and coming coaches out there um some maybe some some little habits that they can um that they can sort of take away from today's episodes or um some actionable um some actionables that they can uh, sort of put in place um based on what not only what you've learned across your career but um but yeah sort of what you've um what you've seen in uh, in in footy development along the way um well firstly thanks for having me on boys um i reckon what you've been able to set up rainsy through this coaching platform for players has been outstanding um and i've been lucky enough to work with a number of them and from a coaching point of view it's so rewarding to see players who come in and want to get better and are so invested in their footy and to have the opportunity to work with them um, through that process of growth and and see them improve has been for me it's a you know it's why I love doing it I get my I get my coaching um, as a collective with the club I coach but working with these individuals uh, both boys and girls has been um, really rewarding so I guess off the back of that and to your question H is Enjoy the enjoy the process of improvement. Um, I talk to the players I work with a lot about this. It's not linear. It's not always you know. It's not always like this. Um, some days you'll spike, other days you won't. But you should enjoy that process and and the feedback you're getting and and bringing your effort to to those sessions. Um, footy is an enjoyable game for both players and for coaches, and it should be treated that way. Um, and I think if you're really passionate about it and you want to work hard, you will get the results. There's no doubt about that. Um, you know, Rainsy, you're a great example of someone that probably eked out everything in your career as well. So the hard work and persistence does pay off. Um, but I think this platform for young for young players and um, and older players as well is just a, it's a brilliant way to 
to connect with them and help them on their footy journeys. Um, yeah, I'm really appreciative to be a part of it. I couldn't agree more, Fraser. We're actually uh, absolutely honoured to have you on board, mate, and some of the work you're doing, the feedback we're getting is outstanding. And I think you uh, will find your way back in the industry, hopefully, mate, um, with a full-time gig back in the AFL, whether that's, in, as you said before, upskilling yourself with your leadership stuff now, and whether that's in ops or, or coaching. I think, um, yeah, definitely, definitely deserve that, mate. So thanks for your time today, and I yeah, really appreciate it. No worries, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to the One-on-One Football Podcast. If you got something out of today's episode, we'd love for you to leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to stay updated on future episodes, special guests, and more, feel free to subscribe to the show on your chosen platform. Once again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. One-on-one football, connecting footballers with private AFL-accredited coaches Australia-wide. Register now at oneonefootball.com.au.